Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. It is Wednesday night, and that means, Mr. Ryan Talbot, it is the live edition of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am Matt Perino. We are from Syracuse.com and NewYorkUpstate.com. And the live show tonight, it's going to be a fun one because, Ryan, we have now um, eight practices to kind of look back on after a summer and a spring filled with anticipation for what this thing's going to look like. And now we have a good solid uh, body of work that we can really dive into. And uh, we'll get a chance to do that with Jay Skursky from the Buffalo news who will be joining us. Uh, He's running a few minutes late, but he will be here any minute. Ryan, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great. And and I think you said it well, you know, right now there's at least a base from what we've seen, uh, from this team through uh, a week plus of practice. So you guys that are there day in, day out, you you probably have a, a pretty decent feel for uh, who's on the inside right now and who's on the outside looking in, so to speak. So uh, I definitely think that tonight's going to be an interesting conversation one night before they, they hold a scrimmage. So the coolest thing about the live show is that this is your show and we want to keep it that way. I know we've been having some great uh, day of practice uh, podcast and the interaction has been great with you guys in the comments. If you have something you want us to talk about, please feel free to drop that in the comments and we will hit that over the course of the show. Uh, Jay put Jay Skirsky put out a 53 man roster uh, earlier this week um, and we're going to dive into that quite a bit. Uh, pretty similar to the one that I put out right before camp start. Couple differences. We'll talk about that and maybe where we're starting to see some changes. Uh, we'll talk about camp risers and and guys that have maybe fallen off a little bit for us, um, and a whole bunch of other things and and everything from you too. Um, let's start there with though for you, Ryan, because you know uh, as someone that you know has been watching everything here in terms of you know what's being reported uh, out of one bill's drive what's been the thing that's uh surprised you the most 
Well, from the roster perspective, I guess it's the fact that um, there's still some questions at that linebacker depth. That was one area where I've been really kind of monitoring it closely, where I was kind of hoping some player, one or two players would kind of really stand out head and shoulders above the rest. It it sounds like there's at least one player making a push for that, but I'll save that till we get to that uh, point of the conversation tonight. I, I was kind of hoping, though, that there'd be a little bit more depth there to work with. Uh, in terms of special teams, you know, I guess it's a little bit surprising that they already switched out one punter here and, and brought in Lachlan Edwards. Uh, but it still is kind of feels, at least to me at this point, that it's uh, Bohorquez's job to lose. So, you, you know, little things like that. Uh, me personally, though, like at this point in training camp, so close to the regular season, I don't know about you but I've been going back and forth on how many quarterbacks this team is going to carry. And right now I'm at that point where I'm looking at just two being on this roster. Where do you currently stand on that? That's a great question. Um, uh, When I first uh, went into camp here, uh, I was of the belief that because of all the talent that they have everywhere on this roster, it would make a lot of sense to go with just the two quarterbacks because I, it's weird because I know that, you want to have options in a season where there's so many question marks, whether it be, um, you know, somebody getting COVID, uh, an injury to your starting quarterback, whatever the case may be, you want to have options. But I think what the bills have been able to do, which is nice is go out, find somebody, plug them in and have it work. We saw that with Matt Barkley when they signed him. Uh, We saw that with Derek Anderson, even though he wasn't very good, they were able to get by. And let's be honest, this thing's built around Josh Allen. If Josh Allen goes out, you're going to be up against it, no matter if you have Jake Fromm, Matt Barkley, or whoever. Um, But I, I think that they probably end up going with two unless there is real concerns about somebody scooping up Jake Fromm. I just don't know. Um, and you could talk, this would be a good time for you to talk about this. If if general managers and pro and pro scouts around the league are really judging, uh, you know, without preseason games, uh, beat writer Twitter for, for some of their scouting reports, um, I don't think that what's been coming out of one Bills drive on Jake Fromm is going to scare the Bills off from, from, from cutting him. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Brendan Bean recently appeared on SiriusXM NFL Radio when they go around and do their training camp live segments. Uh, usually they travel to each training camp, but obviously with, with COVID-19 concerns, they're, they're doing it virtually. But uh, during the interview with Brendan Bean, he said, you know, usually this time of year, we're looking at the uh, tape of 31 different teams in their preseason games, looking for guys that might not make the roster there. But maybe it's a position of need for the bills and they're saying, okay, this guy can play. They just have high numbers on this specific team. Uh, So instead of being able to look at preseason tape, Brennan Bean came out and said, listen, we have pro scouts that we've assigned teams to, and maybe it's one, uh, one scout gets an entire division, or maybe it's even more than that, but they're pretty much scouring beat reporter articles. They're looking at team reports on how players are doing at training camps, looking for any maybe diamonds in the rough that are, still possibly going to be cut that maybe then the bills can swoop in and add to their 53 man roster or hey this guy did really well at blank camp this year and now he's available let's end to our 16 man practice squad so it's interesting because after i wrote that article up i thought you know it is kind of funny because i there was a team from the nfc west whose scout started following me recently and i didn't think anything of it and now i'm sure that many nfl teams are doing that just to try to find some kind of competitive advantage heading into the regular season 
No, 100%. It, it makes a ton of sense. It's going to be funny, though, uh, depending on where you're uh, following. You know, Hopefully, you find the right sources because I think sometimes stuff comes out, and I think it's even hard nowadays to figure out who's actually in the, the building watching a lot of this. So that's going to be very interesting to see as well. But without any further ado, the, the guest of honor is in the house, Mr. Jay Skursky. How are you, my friend? What's going on, guys? Sorry, I'm late. Not much, man. Not. Yeah, it's okay. I hope you had a really great dinner. Where'd you go? Was it was it delicious? It, you know what? It wasn't dinner. Sorry, I got to turn my volume down. So you're like yelling at me. No, it wasn't even dinner. It was uh, it was slow pitch beer league co-ed softball, and uh, <laughs> uh, it ran a little late. So uh, I'm I'm just going to be honest with you guys. All right, I'm not going to tell you it was something else, but that's what it was. <laughs> We appreciate that. Getting after it on the on the baseball field, uh, uh, softball field. I, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we just been talking a little bit about you know some of our early camp surprises and you know what stood out early on for you. You know, I think we all go into this thing with certain expectations. What's kind of stood out to you early on and that maybe you weren't expecting with this team? Well, I mean, I think that the the rookies on offense have really look good, right? Gabe Davis, uh, Gabriel Davis, excuse me, like he wants to go by Gabriel, uh, Zach Moss uh, at running back. I think those guys are really going to add an element to this offense that it was missing. You know, when you look at last year, what they got from Frank Gore as that two running back, quite frankly, wasn't good enough over the second half of the season. And I know it sounds kind of crazy to say that Zach Moss is going to come in and be an upgrade on a first ballot Hall of Famer, but with, you know, where Frank Gore is in his career, and hopefully where Zach Moss is headed, I think it can, I think it can be an upgrade. And I think that's going to be a, a big part of this offense. You know, Gabriel Davis, I, I think, has been a, a pleasant surprise. I do want to, you know, caution that, you know, rookie receivers usually face a pretty big learning curve in the NFL. So we shouldn't expect him to go out there, uh, you know, week one or even midway through the season and, and be putting up big numbers, not with, you know, who he's got in front of him with, the, the, you know, the top three receivers on this team. But I think, you know, in terms of just size, speed, the combination that you're looking for, he's been really impressive. So I think offensively, those two guys have really jumped out to me, uh, especially as rookies. Um, you look around at all of the 53-man rosters that have come out so far. And, you know, even with some of the noise that he made early in camp, I, people are still hesitant to jump on the Reggie Gilliam bandwagon. Where are you at with that? And could we be looking at a situation where Gilliam maybe gets a little bit of a tryout if DeMarco is not physically ready to play when the season starts? You could maybe start him off on a pup list or something like that and give Gilliam a shot, and then he can really see what you got in him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the longer these, uh, you know, this injury for DeMarco drags on, the more real the po you know that possibility becomes. I mean, you know, I think Pat DeMarco knew what he was doing this offseason when he took a pay cut, right? I mean, that – his, his spot on the roster was probably uh, rather tenuous and, and he thought for job security, he's going to take this pay cut. Now, the longer that he misses practice, that he stays out, the, the more opportunities that he gives a guy like Reggie Gilliam, when you think of what he can add to special teams and, you know, does he have, you know, I mean, Brian Dayball doesn't use a fullback a lot in this offense to begin with. So I don't, I don't think that it, that's going to be a major part uh, of the decision. It, to me, it comes down more to special teams and when you got a guy with young legs like Reggie Gilliam and, you know, let's face it, every decision 
this year is magnified in terms of the salary cap, right? Because it's going down a lot next year. And I, I think it's going to be a situation where we see guys that, you know, I, I've written that I don't think that they're going to make decisions based solely on salary. But if it's a determining, you know, if it maybe tilts the scales one way or the other, I could see it being a factor. So for a guy like Patrick DeMarco, if there's a, a really capable younger player behind him, yeah, I think that he may feel, uh, you know, that push a little bit or maybe that pressure a little bit. Now, I, I haven't really given much thought because, you know, it, it seems like we see him out of practice that it, it's going to be any day now where he's back. But you're right. I mean, the longer he stays out, maybe he does start the year on one of those, uh, you know, those injury lists. And, and as you said, that would be almost a, a glorified extended tryout for a guy like Gilliam. One player that was brought in recently or somewhat recently is Brian Winters uh, to compete for that right guard spot while John Feliciano is out with, with a pec injury. So what are your early impressions on Brian Winters from what you've seen from him on and off the field to this point? Well, uh, I'll, I'll caution that we, you know, are restricted as to what we can say about where guys are lining up, and uh, um, I'll leave it at I haven't been blown away. How's that, right? Um, you know, he he doesn't offer a lot of position flexibility that I can tell. Uh, you know, he has not played a lot of center in his career uh, in New York. Uh, really, has played mostly on the right side, even not not even a lot. I know he has played some left guard, but. He's kind of set in at right guard spot. And, you know, one thing we know about Sean McDermott, Brian Dayball, Bobby Johnson, is that they like their offensive linemen to be able to move around and play different spots. And I don't know that Winters offers that, quite frankly. And, you know, I know a lot of people have seen, uh, you know, that clip of, of A.J. Epinesa getting the best of them last week, uh, you know, during what was probably their most competitive scrimmage or, excuse me, practice inside the uh, – inside the, the stadium. And, you know, you don't want to read too much into one play, but I know that that is going to leave an impression among fans. Uh, but to me, it comes down to, you know, th this is a guy that's trying to learn a new offense on the fly. He had been, you know, with, a, with another team for a long time. He was comfortable in New Jersey with the Jets. So not that he, you know, not that he had a, no idea that was coming. I actually wrote, you know, a, a fairly long story about Brian coming here and you know, it would be a nice story. He's got some family connections to this area. Uh, it, it seemed like a good landing spot for him, but I think he's got work to do to earn a spot on this roster. I think that's, you know, perfectly said there. And I think that one of the things that's interesting is you get excited when you see all the experience right off the bat, but then you start to wonder, and it's in the comments here, you know, why did the Jets let him go? And, and there might be a reason for that. He said that he feels where that the the shoulder is kind of getting there, but that's another thing that remains to be seen. If he's having uh, trouble, if he's not playing at the level that you know the Bills have seen on tape, maybe that continues to be an issue. And I don't know about you, Jay, but the guy that's really blown me away on the line continues to be. I was impressed with him in camp last year. Is Ryan Bates? I mean, anywhere that he goes, I feel like he he plays pretty well and. I'm not just talking about the the one-on-ones where Brian Winters had some success this week. I'm talking about 11 on 11 wherever he is. I feel like Bates is, you know, making an argument not only to make this roster, but if if, if there's a, a a chance to maybe earn a job there at that right guard spot, it or wherever, cuz again, we can't say where these guys play. 
wink, wink. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that Ryan Bates, you know, is 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 doing himself a lot of favors. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about position versatility, and he probably offers more of it than I think anyone on the roster. I mean, I, he's a guy that truly can play all five positions, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. You know, earlier in the summer, I had you know someone ask. It was after John Feliciano got hurt. You know. We were talking about, you know, the, the possibilities of, of replacing him. It must have been right after because it was before Winters was even here. And, you know, I ran through the list of guys that they had and who I thought would be uh, possibilities. And, and I never mentioned Bates. And I had somebody on Twitter kind of chide me a little bit for that and say, you know, you're leaving out the guy who's ultimately going to get the job. And, you know, I don't know what well, that remains to be seen. But certainly, you know, the, the Bills saw enough in him last year to, to trade for him, to keep him on the 53 all season. Uh, and, and I do think that he's a guy that, you know, we may be underrating a little bit in terms of, you know, what he could mean for this team uh, at the beginning of the season. And, you know, keep in mind the, uh, you know, the adjusted roster rules too this year, right? Where if you have extra, what is it, 55 active on game day, eight of them have to be offensive linemen. So, you, you know, you're, it's going to be a little bit easier to make this team this year as an offensive lineman. Uh, and we're going to see more of them active. So I think Bates is a guy that's squarely in that mix, uh, particularly because, as I said before, he can back up all five positions. Um, we'll spend a little bit more time on the 53-man, uh, and then we'll get into some other topics that I think will be fun to talk about. But I want to talk about the defensive line before we move on. You have Trent Murphy making the roster, uh, Daryl Johnson as a cut. Uh, explain that a little bit because, you know, obviously, like you mentioned in your story, there's all these different uh, narratives on what could happen with, with Trent Murphy. And obviously the money that the Bills can save if they move on is is not a well-kept secret. Uh, and, and to your point, I think that that is something that we, we, we quickly move away from is what a guy does bring just at a base like trustworthy level and you know you know Sean McDermott he likes guys that he can trust he knows what he's going to get when he sends him out there so explain a little bit why you have Trent Murphy making the roster yeah I mean you know let's start with a I think he you know as I kind of said he's a process guy through and through I mean he is Sean McDermott you know I mean they they basically I think they share the same brain almost you know (laughs) there you can't think of a guy that you know fits into that locker room more than Trent Murphy. I mean, there was a reason that they prioritized bringing him in, that they gave him a pretty big contract, even though he was coming off of, uh, of a major injury. So, and I also think he's been, uh, you know, kind of beaten up here a little bit. I mean, he ended the season great last year. I mean, he had two sacks in the playoff game. I know the, the regular season finale was kind of meaningless, but the Jets were playing their starters. And he had two sacks in that game against Sam Darnold. Let's not forget that he started the entire time that he was here over Shaq Lawson, you know, and, and, you know, there's something to be said for that. I mean, obviously, whether it's Sean McDermott or whether it's Leslie Frazier, uh, whoever, somebody sees something in this guy that keeps him in the starting lineup. Right. And, you know, it goes back to something that I, that I mentioned earlier about DeMarco. This is not a team that a needs salary cap space. Right. I mean, everybody wants it and it would be great. And they are going to make some decisions that I think, you know, will be salary cap. Uh, with salary cap in mind, you know, looking ahead to next year, but they're not looking ahead to next year. They shouldn't be. This is a team that should be squarely focused on 2020 and doing whatever it takes to win the division, to end that streak, to win a playoff game, to end that streak. And I think that Trent Murphy helps them do that. 
And, you know, ultimately you want to, what's, what's wrong with having good veteran depth, right? That is something that this team has not had in a long time. And they're set up where they've got the opportunity to do that. If Trent Murphy doesn't end up starting for this team, right? If it, if it's AJ Epinesa or if it's Mario Addison who gets more playing time and, you know, we know how much he likes to rotate on the defensive line, that being Sean McDermott. If you've got eight or nine really solid NFL defense linemen that you're you're bringing in in waves, I think that's really tough for an offense to deal with. And I I just have to be convinced that a guy like, be it Daryl Johnson or Mike Love or Brian Cox Jr. is really better than this guy. You know, I know that they're cheaper, and I know that maybe long term that they they might be in the plans, but. I'm not looking long-term. I'm looking solely at 2020, and I think I think Trent Murphy can help in that regard. Yeah, and I agree with that. And to your point, Murphy is also outstanding at, at setting the edge in, term, in the run game. Uh, he was very high up there in terms of quarterback pressures last year on this roster. So maybe it didn't translate to sacks until end of the year when he had one in the Pittsburgh game, two in the Jets, two in the Texans playoff game. But he was still... Uh, earning his worth, so to speak, throughout the regular season. And like you said, that rotation is big. McDermott always rotates those guys in and out. Uh, and even Mario Addison has been more comfortable on the other side throughout his career and tenure in, in Carolina. So, you know, it's not just one of those preconceived notions where it's going to be easy for Addison to flip over to the other side and be as productive. So having having a guy like Murphy in there that can also contribute from that side it is valuable. So I agree with you. It, it, I don't think it's a cut and clear decision just because of his salary cap. Uh, from from all accounts, he's having a nice little training camp here as well. He's not doing anything to, to show that he should be an easy decision for this team to get rid of by any means. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I think that, you know, somebody would have to go out there and clearly outperform him. And I don't know that we can say that, you know, we've seen that yet. Um. Great stuff. And you, you, you have Tyler Bass making it. How much is that a projection? And do you feel, I guess the question is, do you still think that this competition is live here as we move through the next, what do we got now? Like six practices left. Is this something that could change in the next couple of days? Or do you think Tyler Bass has already shown enough? Cause for me, as I'm sitting here right now, as good as Hauschka was two days ago, I think Tyler Bass has given them enough to give him the job. Yeah, it's a good question. It's, it really is one of the probably most interesting camp battles, and it's one that I really don't know who is going to win because you can make uh, a pretty strong, compelling case for both guys. You know, the issue that I run into with Steven Hauschka is last Thursday we're in the stadium. It's 70 degrees. There's a light breeze. It's perfect, right? It's, you know, you, you, could, you just wouldn't want to be anywhere else in terms of the weather. And he comes up short on two 51-yard field goals, right? And what's that going to look like in October when the, there's a 20-mile-an-hour wind uh, and he's kicking in that direction? What's it going to look like in November and December? I mean, the guy just doesn't have leg strength anymore. And I don't know that you can keep him on the roster if he doesn't have the ability to give you a 50-plus-yard field goal if you need it, right? Now, the flip side to that is – Tyler Bass, he, you know, I, I made this analogy the other day when I was talking with, uh, with Matt Fairburn on the sideline. He actually had Hauschka making it, and we were talking about this. And, and I said that, you know, the thing about Tyler Bass is he is, and it, it, it works out, right? He, he's that guy out of college, which he is. But remember when you were trying to get your first job and you couldn't get your first job because you didn't have experience? 
but you couldn't, you know, how do you get the experience unless somebody hires you, right? Tyler Bass needs experience. He needs regular season experience, big kicks in big games. And the only way he's going to do that is he's going to have to convince the team, hey, I can make these when the moment matters, right? And for the Bills, a team that's got playoff aspirations, you know, maybe even championship aspirations, are they going to be willing to roll the dice on a rookie kicker? It's a huge, huge question. Now, you know, there are other options. You know, could you try to sneak Tyler Bass through to the to the practice squad? Do you carry two kickers? You know, I know that would be really unpopular with fans, but maybe it makes sense because you have you have Bass handle kickoffs and you have uh, have them maybe handle 50 plus yard field goals. It would be unorthodox, but it's an option, right? I don't think that's going to happen. I, I remain uh, of the belief that this, this job is Bass's to lose, and I don't know that he's done that yet. Uh, you know, I, again, I'll bang the you know that salary cap drum. There's substantial savings with Hauschka, but to me, it's more of a performance issue. And I know Hauschka was was really good at the end of last season in that playoff game, but I'm just concerned about his leg strength in Buffalo. I feel like you need a big leg to, to make it in Buffalo, and I don't think he's got it anymore. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And uh, on Brendan Bean's appearance on SiriusXM NFL Radio, he actually talked a little bit about this with the host, and he said something along the lines of, you know, I don't think we could sneak either of those two guys onto the practice squad just because teams are always looking for kickers. Uh, and, and I think that will be the case heading into the regular season. There's some teams that are out there, and Bass was probably the number one kicker on a lot of draft boards, whether teams needed a kicker or not heading into this year's draft. And Hauschka, while he may not have the leg strength, there's going to be some teams, maybe they play in a dome, maybe they don't have the, the winds of Buffalo in November, December, uh, where they feel he could come in and be reliable. But it's going to be interesting because I, I do think there's a slight crack in, in the door, like you said, of possibly carrying two carriers. It would not be a popular decision by any means. But maybe if you end up only carrying two quarterbacks, for instance, then, then where once we said, OK, they're going to have to carry three. Well, maybe they only carry two there and that's how they justify carrying that second kicker would not be popular by any means, but with everything going on with COVID concerns and things like that, it, it's not the worst idea to have a second kicker that on your main roster, because whoever's going to be on your practice squad, if one of them goes, they might have to sign someone to that 60 man practice squad. Who knows how reliable they would be come game day if they were actually needed. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be tough, though. It's you know, I don't think I, I think you have a very little chance of getting a guy through to the practice squad. I think it's two or it's one of them, and I think you're losing the other because I agree with you. I think Hauschka uh, is still reliable for a team probably that kicks indoors. I think he makes the most sense, uh, but he's so accurate from inside 45 that you know that that that's great. And really, if you look at the state of kicking last year in the NFL, it was pretty bad. And I think one of these guys, whether it's Hauschka because his proven uh, track record or whether it's Bass because of his potential, I think the Bills lose one of them if they try to expose one of them to waivers and sneak him out of the practice squad, which I think is what makes this decision so tough. All right, let's uh, let's switch gears here a little bit. I want to move into the AFC East because I feel like, you know, as much as we're all excited for this practice tomorrow and we're going to talk a little bit about it, uh, we're really coming up on games here. This is such a weird feeling to be only a week and a half into camp and really the game, the first game be about two weeks away. And so, you know, we're watching on social media today. I think that one of the, even in Bill's Twitter, you know, the, the big thing of the day was just the absolute tire fire that the New York Jets continue 
to be. I mean, Le'Veon Bell out there going on Twitter saying, refuting reports from his from his head coach and the, the offense absolutely uh, just being abysmal in practice, the first team offense there, which I guess the Jets media get to report. But so I guess I'll ask you here, Jay, how bad is this Jets situation? And do you even feel like they're a factor in this division heading into week one? Oh, uh, a factor? No. I mean, I don't think that they're going to be a serious threat to win the division, but I don't, but, but I stop short of saying that it's two guaranteed wins when they play the Jets, right? I think mm-hmm. that that is, uh, and, and from a Bills perspective, that, that's sort of where, you know, where do you fall? Somewhere in there, right? Is it, can you sweep them? Uh, or, you know, are they, are, are they, you know, competing for a wild card necessarily with you or something like that? I don't think they're on that level, but I also am not just saying they're going to win both games handily, right, or anything like that. I mean, the thing with the Jets is they've got some pieces. That, yeah, they lost some guys, you know, particularly on defense um, in Mosley, their middle linebacker, who, you know, opted out. I think that's really going to hurt them, but um, I'm just not a believer in Adam Gates. That's what it boils down to. I think he is a terrible head coach, and I, I think that for the things that they've done right, and I've liked some of their moves, and I'm not out on Sam Darnold by any means just yet, but I think he's got a toxic head coach, a guy that just rubs people the wrong way. I mean, you know, and, and obviously we can sit here and, uh, you know, from 450 or 500 miles away and watch what's going on and just think what a train wreck it is down there, right? And it's just because their head coach has no control and seemingly just doesn't care like what the public perception is. Right. And, and I think that that, in, you know, in, impacts them. I really do. You know, I, I think this ongoing drama, you've got, you know, one of the most talented running backs in the league and you seem like you're purposely trying to needle the guy at every opportunity you get, you know, it's just, it, it makes no sense. He, uh, he just was the, the worst hire for them uh, as a head coach. And that's why I can't really take them seriously, but I stopped short of saying that there it's two wins for the bills because they do still have some talent, you know, and, and, you know, say what you want about, you know, where, where the two teams are. And I, and I think head coaching wise, they're miles apart, but talent wise, I don't think they're as far apart uh, when you compare the 53 man rosters and, you know, it's t- you, when you're going through the Bills schedule, right. You can easily get them to maybe 12 wins. Right. But, it's, it's possible, right? It's possible that they are going to just have an off week. And who's to say that that doesn't happen in October when they go down to New York and play. So uh, as bad as things look, I wouldn't totally just say that, you know, they're going to be in the running for the first overall pick next year. Not when they've got a guy that was drafted third overall and, and may still end up being a franchise quarterback. You can't totally just write them off that quickly. Yeah, and there's something to be said, too, about divisional opponents and, and how they kind of psych themselves up for those games. Those are games that uh, every team kind of looks forward to. So even from that aspect, but in terms of today's uh, scrimmage, you know, Darnold wasn't getting his full arsenal out there. Brashad Perriman, Denzel Mims out. So you're looking at guys named Jeff Smith, uh, Chris Hogan, obviously a former Bill in there as well. So, you know, the Bills might benefit from playing them in week one based on these injuries that they have at these key positions based on the fact that who knows what's going on with with bell and gase uh i believe the whole report out there was that gase wanted nothing to do with bell uh after he had joined it was more so a, a gm signing a splash there so maybe there truly is something to that but 
I, I'm with Jay on this. You, you can't just say it's going to be a clean sweep, just like, and I think the Dolphins actually made a lot of great improvements. I, I couldn't say the same thing about the Dolphins either with the Bills saying it, that's going to be a clean sweep this year. There's something about the divisional factor, and, and there is still Sam Darnold who can string together some impressive performances, even though we've also seen the opposite of that, where he gets into some games and he makes some terrible decisions and throws some pretty uh, head scratching interceptions. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, division okay. games are, are, are just not it, it, to to sit here and say, oh, they're going to go six and zero in the division. The Patriots lost Tom Brady, and the Dolphins are rebuilding, and the Jets are a mess. That is a, a really big assumption, right? I mean, it, it doesn't that is, that is really tough to do. I don't care where those teams are to go to sweep the division. Uh, I mean, if the Bills do that, you know, they're in good shape this year. Speaking of the division, and and you know contending for the division it, it still goes through new england as brandon bean has said and uh I, I i'm very high on the bills chances to be the afc east champions in 2020 but i want to talk a little bit about what the overhaul has been in new england and what you know what this team's going to look like in two weeks here because I think that even with the reports coming out of training camp there and what, you know, it seems like Cam Newton's starting to settle in, get a little bit comfortable. As good as this defense was a little, a year ago, they have new pieces. They're implementing rookies in, in spots where, you know, guys like Jamie Collins and Kyle Van Noy uh, roamed last season and an offensive line that is going to be without Marcus Cannon, without Dante Scarnecchia. They still don't have, I think, the necessary weapons uh you know in terms of receivers and especially tight ends that they've had in the past where do you kind of land on the patriots uh in your boston red sox t-shirt <laughs> um hey red sox are in buffalo right now right uh, i know first time uh, hundred years or something right yeah uh, that's awesome probably getting rained out as we speak but yeah no i mean i'm of the belief that the bills have to finish out of the patriots this year i mean they if they don't something went terribly wrong in Buffalo because you can't lose all that New England lost. And it's far from just Tom Brady, right? Their losses on defense arguably are, are, are more impactful than losing Brady, right? Particularly when you bring in a guy like Cam Newton, who if he can recapture some of his form, some may argue might even be a slight upgrade on what the Brady gave the, the Patriots last year. Now, a lot has to go right. Uh, for Cam Newton, you know, he has to show that he's healthy for, before that can be the case. But um, with, with everything that's happened there, with the the, the issues with the uh, opt-outs that they've had, this is the year that the Bills finally put the Patriots behind them, right? For the first time since, what, 1995, they, they're trying to win the division. Um, obviously, you know, th this is going to go a long, long way toward answering, at least in my mind, was it Brady or was it Belichick in, in New England, right? Because if, if Bill Belichick can somehow find a way to piece this New England roster together and get them even to the playoffs, not even, let alone to the world, uh, to the, to the Super Bowl, I'm thinking world series because you got me talking Red Sox. But, <laughs> I mean, if, if Bill Belichick can even get this New England roster into the playoffs, it might be his best coaching job. So I, I'm totally of the, uh, of the belief that the Patriots are not going to bottom out, you know, especially if Cam gives them something. Uh, you know, they've still got, you know, some talented players there. Obviously, you got Stephon Gilmore. He's going to help the defense. But I don't see them as a 10-win team. You know, I see them as a, a 500 team, uh, maybe a 9-7 and seven team, something like that. I mean, let's not forget, 
that as difficult as the Bills' schedule is, the Patriots is slightly more difficult. I believe coming into the season, uh, in terms of strength of schedule, they have the toughest schedule. So um, if New England is able to finish above 500, I think that'll be a great coaching job by Bill Belichick. And from the Bills' perspective, something will have had to have gone pretty seriously wrong if they're looking up at the Patriots' division. Ryan, where do you kind of stand on things now here two weeks out in terms of, you know, your expectations in the division? Yeah, I think this is Buffalo's division to lose. And like Jay said, if they don't win this division, something went wrong or they they were hit with some kind of significant injuries, which happens to certain teams every year. Uh, but the Patriots, like you said, I'm, I'm saying anywhere from seven and nine to nine and seven, a lot of talent there. Uh, Chung is another play that they lost in the secondary, so they're going to be starting a, a rookie there as well. So it, it, that whole back to the linebackers and the uh, safeties are going to look a lot different this year because of that. Uh, the offensive line coach gone as well. Brady, you guys talked about it there. So I think that they're going to hover and compete for a second place in that division uh, or even make a, a run for a wild card spot. But really, the Bills should finish with more wins than the Patriots. Miami, I've said, is still one year away. I like the free agent additions. I like the draft class a lot, quite honestly. Uh, but you're, you're still probably looking at Ryan Fitzpatrick to start a certain percentage of the year. And when when Fitz gets hot, he can win you games. He can lead you to victories. Don't get me wrong. But eventually, they're turning that over to Tua. And as good as he may end up being, there's going to be some growing pains there for him as a rookie. So I still think they're one year away. And the Jets, you know, they might be competitive in these AFC East games and in a few games this year. Uh, but uh, they're still – that roster needs an overhauling. Uh, and I know Joe Douglas is still relatively new there. He joined the team last year. He did what he could to upgrade the offensive line. There's still some issues there. Like I said, you know, you, you look at Sam Darnold, who's year three just like Josh Allen. Josh Allen has a significant wide receiver trio, maybe one of the best, if not the best in the league. And then you have Brashad Perriman and you have, um, I'm blanking now on their uh, Crowder. Mims and Crowder, yeah. Mims and Crowder, you know, that's not close to the same. So I, that doesn't fall on the GM necessarily because he's relatively new. But even that, they're not doing Darnold any favors there. So I don't see them being competitive either. So Still think it comes down to the Bills and the Patriots, but the Bills should finish ahead of them this season. The reason I bring this up is because I was listening to Bill Barnwell's podcast this week, and he did a uh, a rundown of you know where he thinks the playoff teams are going to rank. And uh, first of all, he had Pittsburgh finishing second in the AFC, which I thought was interesting. But he picked he was on with Shield Kapadia from the Athletic, who picked the Bills to win the AFC East, and Belichick said or um, Barnwell said that he's picking the Patriots because of his lack of belief in Josh Allen. And I want to transition here and ask you, Jay, you know, where has the roller coaster gone for you from what your initial impressions of Josh were around draft time in 2018 to through the whole process and where they kind of stand now on the precipice of a very important season for him? <laughs> yeah, that's uh interesting interesting way of phrasing it. I mean, I guess I'm still uh, climbing to the top, right? I think uh, the, <laughs> the roller coaster is still uh, tick, 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 tick on the way up. And, you know, then you get to the top and you kind of see, do I, do I really like this or do I hate it? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, that's, I guess that's my best 
answer is I'm not convinced either way that Josh Allen is going to be the guy. I mean, he's done things that have thoroughly impressed me, right? You know, the, the I think probably to the, the Thanksgiving Day game last year down in Dallas that as a game that really stands out to me, like, boy, oh boy, that that's it right there. That And I know he didn't throw for 300 yards in that game, but he made the throws that you needed him to make. I mean, the you know, probably the play that sticks out to me most from last season is when he fumbles the snap. What a sloppy mess of a play, right? But he picks it up and he dives through three guys and he gets up and he's just so fired up, right? And that kind of infectious enthusiasm and the way that his teammates rally around him, he checks a lot of the boxes, right? But then he does things like the fourth quarter against Houston in the playoffs. And you think to yourself, I don't know if this guy's ever going to learn, right? I don't know if he's ever going to be able to be molded, right, into what they need him to be. And, you know, the, the thing that I like about how Brandon Bean has built this is that he's taken away seemingly every excuse for Josh Allen this year, right? He said, you need a number one receiver. We'll go get you Stefan Diggs, a guy who not only is he a number one receiver in probably most offenses, but in terms of skill set, really matches what Josh Allen does well. So, I, you know, you need another running back to pair with Devin Singletary. We, we, did, we weren't good enough in certain situations, whether it be short yardage, that kind of thing last year. Okay, we'll get you like a little bowling ball in Zach Moss, who looks like he's going to be really good in those situations, you know. So it's on Josh Allen right now. You know, year three, we have to see this guy continue to climb that roller coaster. And when you get to the top, it's got to be a fun ride, right? It can't be, uh, oops, I made a mistake and I, I don't want to be on this ride. And, you know, the one concern that I have for Allen that's outside of his control is the offensive line. I was of the belief that while it was improved last year, it wasn't good enough. And I think the Houston playoff loss in particular really drove that point home. You know, I was talking uh, to, my, to my colleague, Mark Gaughan, about this about that that uh, this week, that game. And if you're an opposing defensive coordinator, how are you not just saying, I'm going to throw everything at Josh Allen and see if he can handle it? Because he wasn't able to handle it last year in, when, when it mattered most. And to me, until he proves that he can, until the game slows down enough for him uh, that he doesn't try to do every single thing possible and take every snap like it might be the last one that he ever plays, uh, there's going to be those lingering questions. And, and the good news is, as I said, I think Brandon Bean has put it, him in a situation now where there really are no excuses. If he's able to stay healthy, we're going to know at the end of this season a lot about Josh Allen's future, which is interesting because two years in, I'm still in the, if, you know, if you've got yes, no, no, maybe, I'm still checking maybe for, you know, whether he's a franchise quarterback. And, and eventually, You've got to move on from that. And I don't, you know, I don't know that that decision 100% will be made, uh, you know, this year, depending on what happens, but I think we'll move really solidly in one direction. I agree completely. You know, encouraging signs, 29 total touchdowns last year, among the most in the league, improved in that intermediate game. But how many games did we have to wait for him to really turn it on until the fourth quarter? Because the, the games are closely contested. And yeah, then he could put together a drive and lead them to victory. But that, that's not necessarily going to be the case of, of what can happen here in 2020. There's some really tough matchups on this schedule. So to, to Jay's point, we're going to move one way or the other this year, knowing whether he's the franchise guy. 
no matter how good this Bills defense is, they're going to have some challenges against the Chiefs, against the Seahawks, potentially against the 49ers. And these might end up being games that are shootouts where they need Josh to throw for close to 300, if not hit that 300, which has been a, a big talking point on social media. And they'll need him to keep them in the game, not just wait until the fourth quarter. So this is a huge year for him. Everything is there. Uh, he has shown the ability to scramble and get away from some pressure sometimes when the offensive line doesn't hold up. That's one other benefit to his game. But I, I think at the end of this year, you're going to have a good idea if, if you're dealing with a, a situation where, hey, you know, we're going to give him another year, obviously, is to be the guy. But we might have to start really recruiting and looking at uh, some of these prospects coming out in the, in the next few years in terms of the NFL drafting and get a better idea of who that next quarterback is going to be. I hate the the narrative that guys come into the league and they're going to be who they are, like no matter what. There's no chance for development. There's no chance to 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 kind of eliminate bad habits. I I I just kind of reject that just because I've been around sports my whole life and I've seen at different levels guys figure things out. Lights go on in heads, um, and so that kind of argument for me on Allen always kind of falls short when people say he's always going to be something, but there's a caveat to that in year three, the raw characterization kind of gets thrown out the door. Like that you, you don't have that to fall back on. And to your point, Jay, the excuses are gone. I mean, really it being has done a great job of really looking Josh Allen in the eye and saying, this is, it's kind of like here, do it or or don't, but you, you have to do it. I mean, this is it, the kind of pressure that this organization is going to be under next offseason if Josh Allen flops in 2020. I mean, it can't be overstated. There's going to be, as good as this rebuild has been, there's going to be pressure. And you look across, you know, uh, you know, across divisions and Baker Mayfield and Cleveland, that the weapons that he has in at his disposal, he was bad last year. But he was really good as a rookie. If he rekindles that, the pressure is going to get ratcheted up even more. So to your point, Jay, uh, I, I'm kind of there with you. I'm, I'm pretty high on Allen. I've liked a lot of what he's done. But that could get turned off real quick if we get into this this season here. I mean, they should start 4-0 and in my opinion. I, I don't think the Raiders are really that good. I don't really believe in Derek Carr. I think John Gruden, as good as he was in his prime, uh, I think he kind of leaves a lot to be uh, desired as well. It's a road game. I don't know how that's going to affect things, and we'll see if there's fans. But I think that where things stand right here, especially the early schedule, they should get off to a, a fast start. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and and I've you know said many times this offseason that I think this team could go ten and six again this year and be a much better football team than they were last year, just because of how difficult their schedule is. Right and you know, it would be interesting if that happens, because how did they get to 10 and six? Did they get there because the offense took major strides and maybe won some of those games, as Ryan mentioned, that you, you know, you've got to score some points in? Or did they get there again because their defense remained at, at an elite top three in the NFL level and they pieced together enough offensively? I would say that that would be troublesome if that's the way they get to 10 and six, because, again, how long is that window with an elite defense going to stay open, right? You know, you can, and I say elite defense, and that might even be a stretch. I think they're very, very good, but to win with defense in the NFL, you can't be very, very good. You have to be elite. You know, you think of 
maybe what's a recent team? The the Seahawks maybe come to mind a few years back when they were winning Super Bowls. I think that might have been defensive driven, maybe a little bit more so than Russell Wilson. Or everyone always points to the Ravens from so long ago, the Trent Dill, for example, right? I don't think that I, I think Josh Allen's further along than that, but the point being is you, you want to see Josh Allen in this offense step their, their, their game up, step their level up to being, you know, I, I want to see a top 10 offense this year. And, and I know that that it would be a significant jump in terms of yards and points from where they were last year. But this guy was drafted seventh overall. The team traded up twice in the first round to get him. Let's take the training wheels off, right? Let's, mm-hmm. let's raise the expectations to where they should be for a guy that they paid so much for and who they invested so much in and then went out and, and built around that investment. They sort of did exactly what the Bills, you know, it, it looked like they were doing under previous regimes when you get E.J. Manuel and you acquire Sammy Watkins, but then you bench E.J. Manuel, right? We know that's not the situation here. This is Josh Allen's show. And I think the best way to say it is we've sort of all said a variation of it is the excuses are gone. Let's see in year three if he's the guy. So tomorrow is scrimmage day. And, you know, the way that Sean McDermott talked about it earlier this week, this is going to be as close to a dress rehearsal as you can get. And and he not only wants to run things through for the rookies, he said, but also new guys like Stefan Diggs. What's it going to be like in the locker room at, uh, you know, Bill's Stadium? Uh, we have to call it now. Um you know, going through the motions and, and and feeling what it's like to feel. I mean, that's one of the cool things about the preseason games for new guys is that it lets you kind of get used to it before the, the real stuff starts happening. So looking to tomorrow after what we saw last Thursday and what we've seen this week, what are you looking to see? What do you what do you want to see out of it could be out of a player, out of a unit, you know, where you 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 want to see some progression here, you know, in this second week? Well, you know, I think it would be a continuation of what we have seen with Allen and Diggs. I mean, let's face it, that has been probably the dominant um, storyline or the, uh, the the thing that most people have focused on. What is Stefan Diggs doing, right? I mean, you see after every practice, uh, you know, the TV guys are running to tweet every clip of Stefan Diggs. You know, people just seem like they can't get enough of him. But, you know, it's a legitimate, um, I don't want to say concern, but I understand the emphasis on it, right? Because this guy is primed to be uh, the type of receiver that we haven't seen here since maybe, you know, the, the, the few years that Stevie Johnson posted a uh, thousand yard seasons. Right. I mean, this is a, and, and he's on a different level than Stevie Johnson. I mean, he is, uh, I, I think he's got the potential to be a true top 10 receiver in the NFL. And, you know, without, without the spring, without the preseason, not that he was going to play a lot in the preseason anyways, but he was behind, right? And Josh, he and Josh Allen were behind in terms of getting on the same page. So can they do that immediately? What, what is Stefan Diggs versus Tredavious White going to look like tomorrow? How hard are those two guys going to go at each other? How much better can they make each other? I think that's a pretty fascinating thing. But, you know, we know defensively who this team is and what this team is. We know their strengths. We know, uh, you know, how they've tried to uh, improve the pass rush this offseason with Mario Addison and, and Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, and those additions, uh, there aren't a lot of question marks defensively, right? There, there were, you know, how do they re- replace Lorenzo Alexander, I guess, is one. But the question marks to me are, 
And it goes back to what I just said. How does that offense take the jump from where it was last year, at least into the top half of the league? And I'm setting my sights, my set sights higher. I'd like to see them get into the top 10 of the league. We're not going to learn all of that in one scrimmage, but you know, and, and you know, and, and let's, let's go back to what we said. We can't talk about positionally. <laughs> we'll be focused on where guys are lined up on the offensive line. And will that mean that there are some decisions made there? Will Sean McDermott reveal those decisions tomorrow? I think that'll be something that's really interesting uh, because that's going to be a really important factor going back to what I said earlier about improvement along the offensive line, needing to see it. Uh, that's a very real concern for me going into the into the season. So I, most of my, my attention tomorrow will be on the offensive side of the football and those issues. Uh, great stuff. And I think that, you know, I'm really going to be watching the lines and, you know, on the offensive side of the things I asked Mitch Morse today, uh, we got a chance to talk to him for a few minutes about, you know, I noticed that, you know, there might've been some frustration, you know, early on in training camp with, you know, maybe some breakdowns of protection specifically on the interior. And, you know, Mitch confirmed that. And he said there were, there's going to be frustrating times whenever you're going into a situation like this, where, you know, you're picking things up in, in July, late July. Um, but there was times where I just felt like they weren't very good up front. And now they're going up against a very good defensive line and defense is always ahead of offense, but I want to see if that continues to hold up. I thought Tuesday was a really good day for the offensive line. We'll, we'll keep an eye on that, but also, to your point earlier, what we talked about with Trent Murphy, I think the key to the Trent Murphy uh, conundrum, if you will, is if it's even in the cards to move on, you have to have uh, a very certain amount of faith that AJ Epinesa can play a significant role in the rotation this season. And, you know, so far he's popped a few times to me. I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well, but I want to be watching AJ Epinesa tomorrow, how he does in 11 on 11 drills, especially if we get some extended uh, scrimmage style uh, looks at him tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, any rookie is going to be kind of fascinating to, to learn a little bit more about in, in, you know, a more competitive setting, which is what we're going to see tomorrow. You know, the, the, my only concern about line play is it, it's so hard to, particularly on the offensive line, it's so hard to judge them when the other team isn't willingly trying to hit their quarterback as hard as possible. Right. right. So even in a scrimmage setting, and, and that's one one part of the preseason that I like is that, those, you know, even if they're only out there for a series or a quarter, that offensive line has got to be on its game when that starter, when that starting quarterback is in there because the other team is coming and they, they're going to want to hit that quarterback. And tomorrow, Jerry Hughes, if he blows by Deion Dawkins or somebody and he's going to pull up, he's not going to hit Josh Allen. Right. So. How do we truly, truly judge offensive linemen? I don't know that we're really able to do that until, you know, until the games really count. Um, but, your, you know, your point about the defensive line is great. You know, there are a lot of changes, you know, on that defensive line, you know, significant ones, right? And they are working in several new pieces. And there's something to be said for how quickly, you know, we talk a lot about cohesiveness on the offensive line. Well, can they find it on the defensive line? And can they come to a rotation that makes sense for them? Uh, certainly I think those are things that they'll work through tomorrow, uh, and, and we'll get a, you know, kind of a first glimpse at how it might look. Very gracious with your time on this Wednesday night, leaving early with the boys, throwing a couple back on a Wednesday night to do a podcast. My man, my good friend, I'm so bummed that we're not going to have some of our fun trips on the road this year. Uh, but it's always good to wrap with you. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find your stuff? 
Yeah, uh, you know, buffalonews.com uh, is where all the written words are. And then just follow me on Twitter. It's uh, I see you guys did at Matt Perino and at Ryan and tell about bills. I didn't know that I was supposed to do at Jay Skirsky, but that's it. So just, <laughs> you know, take the space out of those two and put an at sign in front of it. And that's my Twitter symbol. So you can find me on there, too. And you could see that smile on Channel 2 as well during the season. Uh, love the TV stuff as well. Um, thank you, my friend. This has been, this has been awesome. We'll be, we'll get out there tomorrow, get after it again. And, uh, for all you guys, thank you for tuning in tonight. Some great numbers, some great engagement in the comments. We always appreciate you find shout on all of your audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google, all of it, subscribe, rate and review. We really appreciate it. And we will see you tomorrow. Make sure you get over to the website, Syracuse.com, New York upstate.com. We'll have you covered also. Buffalonews.com as well. You know, it's it's a whole new world here on the beat. Like, I, I like the collab, man. I Like, uh, people say that all the time. Like, uh, old school people be like, you guys seem really friendly. I'm like, why not? Like, that's, I think that's what it's all about. I like the collab. Absolutely, man. We're, we're lucky. We got a lot of good dudes covering the team and uh, a lot of guys that are doing really good work. Um, I, you know, I think Bill's fans um, have it pretty good uh, in terms of coverage and what, you know, what's offered to them. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we certainly appreciate all the time their feedback and uh, we get a lot of it on social media. And but in terms of the guys that are, are kind of trying to do that job, you know, it's different, obviously, this year. But, you know, I, I think that there's a, a healthy competition, if you will. And we all know that. But we all appreciate what each other has to do do and, and we're there every day and we're you know we're all kind of grinding and, and in it together in a lot of different ways uh trying to uh you know to bring news on this team to uh to fans and, and it, like i said i think people are really fortunate to be able to uh to be able to consume it in, in so many different ways and what you guys are doing with the podcast and the written word and everything like that so kudos to you guys for doing this and uh, i appreciate you having me on my man, Jay Skursky, Buffalo News, Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We'll be back next week. Actually, we'll be back tomorrow because we've got another practice. So we'll see you then. Have a great night, everyone.